Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well That's done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I said all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and today I'm at the Words on the Waves Writers' Festival, and you can hear the beautiful ocean behind us and some atmospheric noise, which just adds to the fabulousness of a writing festival. Today, I'm sitting with Daisy Jeffrey. Daisy is an 18-year-old university student and organiser in the school climate strikes, the most recent of which was one of the largest protests in Australian history, galvanising over 300,000 people to demand climate change. And Daisy is also a fierce champion for gender equality, as we also believe very fiercely on this podcast. Welcome, Daisy. Glad to be here. (laughs) Now, very impressive, the 300,000 people organising that protest. How did you do that? (laughs) Um, Well, it was a large uh, coalition of young people um, who really came together um, to fight for not only a cause that we deeply believe in, but for something that is an absolute necessity um, for not only our generation but generations to come. Yeah, absolutely. But it really shows. I mean, that's a that's a significant number. But it really shows that people care about this, and we really want action to be taken. Yeah, and we really worked to get people to show that they cared. And it was prior to the bushfire crisis, so it was before the climate crisis felt like it was on everyone's doorstep. Mm-hmm. I think it felt like it was on a lot of people's doorstep though, yeah, because it, the drought at that point was so severe. Um, and yeah, and so we saw a really significant demonstration of public opinion in favour of climate action. Um, and that was a very impressive thing. So I think the amount of work that the Australian public has, you know, the amount of uh, support that Australia, the Australian public has demonstrated 
for ambitious climate action is significant. Because it is a big number. 300,000. We as a population do not pride ourselves on being political. We almost pride ourselves in not being very political. So in other countries where, like, you know, particularly somewhere like France, where people are much more ready to get out on the streets, um, where the unions are a lot stronger, um, you know, you're more likely to see protests of such a size. But for Australia, 300,000 people across the country is one of the biggest in Australian history. And it's a very, very significant demonstration of where public opinion is at. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you have written a book on hope. Can you give us a bit of an elevator pitch as to what this book is about? Yeah, so it's basically about, um, you know, I can't speak to as to everyone's journey through the climate movement. So it centers really, I think, on my journey in the climate movement, where I started, um, where I left off by the time I'd finished the book, um, and sort of the ups and downs uh, of, you know, working as a climate activist, but also as a young woman um, in a sphere where a lot of people didn't really want to see or hear you. Um, And also just exploring a little bit, you know, as well as the disadvantages, the advantages I have as a white inner city middle class woman, which is, I have a lot of privilege um, in those spaces and looking at how a lot of people of color, particularly indigenous people, have been barred from those spaces altogether and find it almost impossible to access. So uh, it was, um, and ultimately it's, looking at what kind of direction we're heading in with climate where we can go what we can do um and how you know we should still have hope but that it is i've had you know just a side note i've had a lot of like my parents friends in particular or a lot of people around my parents age so in their you know 40s to 50s come up to me and go oh you're such an inspiration your generation is going to save us and i was like well most of us can't vote <laughs> Um, and it's also, it's the, although I think the intentions behind the praise were good, um, it's very superficial. It has very little lasting meaning. It's like if you bugger off into the distance, um, after that, you know, after saying that and don't do anything else, it really doesn't help me, doesn't help anyone fighting for this cause. Um, and so the, that book I really hoped it would reach um, sort of a large age range Um, I hoped it would inspire young people but I also really hoped it would inspire people of my parents generation and let them know that this is an intergenerational fight and that they really need to get involved Um, the school strike movement is amazing but why that 2019 strike was so powerful was that we called it a a general climate strike and while I think it was dominated by school students and university students we saw a lot more variety in uh, in terms of the ages of people who were there. I mean, we even had, a, like, you know, one of our outliers was a 97-year-old World War II veteran. <laughs> I love that. Um, he's since passed away, but he's just really, really incredibly passionate, always. Um, just amazing. Uh, so, yeah, that's really... For me, there are a number of things, and, and as well, like I talked about um, in the panel uh, before this... Um, a transitional path for workers in vulnerable industries into other fields of work yep. 
uh, as the crisis worsens and particularly as uh, industries such as the fossil fuel industry are inevitably having to close down. And so how can you see that working? In terms the of transition. Yeah. So we have had over 30 years with yes. the science. Um, three decades would have been an excellent time frame to be shifting people out of an industry and into another. Um, and unfortunately, we actually now have less than 10 years, a huge amount of jobs that are going to be lost over the next, over the next decade mm-hmm. in the fossil fuel industry, both due to climate, but also due to the you know, almost complete automation yeah. Uh, of these operations over the next decade or so because these corporations are not you know they don't care about the workers they care about profit yeah um and so that transitional path for me and again like you'll hear this from a lot of young people who are trying to advocate for the science these solutions these transitional paths are there so as far as a vision for a transitional path i'm not an expert so as someone who is not funded by the public to represent their concerns at a national or state level um, and as someone who is not surrounded by expertise on how to get the job done I can't you know uh, I can't make a serious or a valuable contribution as to what I think a transitional path looks like. Now your book on hope it was an unfortunate time when it was released it was March of 2020 which is of course when you know, the lockdowns happened and COVID started really impacting us. How did that impact you as a writer? Look, I, so I wrote the book during my summer holidays just before I started the HSC. Um, and I, as, and I, it's just a small book, but as someone who had a book coming out, I was very excited um, to have a book launch to like sort of get to share you know this story with everyone with all my friends and but also just with a wider audience and get the opportunity to partake in you know these panels and festivals but I was really looking forward to a potential tour to schools Mm. um you know potentially New South Wales and Victoria etc and I was really looking forward to inspiring kids um and I think that was probably the most heartbreaking thing was when uh, I realised that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and it was so weird because like it had been a week earlier and or a week and a half earlier and I'd been at the Mardi Gras <laughs> parade in Sydney and so to have like within less than two weeks yeah. the whole like my like a whole of New South Wales in lockdown I would just it was a really I think emotionally distressing thing Um, but having said that I was very fortunate I mean it wasn't I was not financially reliant on the book's success I was a school student and it was an incredible opportunity to inspire other people to take action Um, so but you know relative to most of the population I was fairly minimally impacted mentally I, it was not such a great experience. So, like, Been very hard. Yeah. I've got friends, so I'm studying in Canberra, and I've got friends who were, were now on winter break, and they were so looking forward to going back to Victoria to yeah. visit their families. Because mm. unlike them, I can just travel up the road three hours to yeah. Sydney and see my family. And I think it's really heartbreaking, and there's a lot of sort of 
uh, like trauma that has come as a result of those lockdowns that I think you know suddenly I had not yeah fully recognized um because even like I had my own experience in the Sydney lockdown but for Melbourne it's been mm. so much yeah, more extreme absolutely absolutely so, yeah well, very impressive, you know, um, writing that just before your HSC. I mean, I'm sure there were lots of things that you had to be doing right before your HSC. So just, you know, writing out a book in between, that's very impressive. Um, it wasn't too many words. It was only like 12,000, oh, I think. Look, don't, un- don't undermine your success and what you've achieved. That's amazing. But the question I ask all the guests who come on the podcast is, why do you write? Um, look, I, outside of the book, I like writing anyway. Um... I don't know. I, it makes sense. Both my parents have been writers at one stage or another, and my dad's still a writer. So I, I don't know. I just, I've always really enjoyed it, and whether it's fiction or non-fiction, you know, it's just something that I'm very grateful comes quite easily to me, um, and words just sort of fit and make sense. Um, and like with the book, uh, I chose to write it in a really sort of uh, conversational tone um, because I wanted to part of the problem like you see with a lot of people who are really involved in a particular sphere of work um, they write using a lot of jargon um, and it leaves someone feeling quite lost like <laughs> as someone who's just going through academic like trying to read through academic papers now for my degree yeah I mean honestly I mean where is the line between jargon and just crap writing <laughs> but the I just wanted to make sure that like people could connect with it and understand the writing but also feel like I wasn't speaking down to them but connecting with them in a conversational way. Like we were having this talk about, oh, what's happening? Okay, where do I fit into this? Um, how can I help? What's the best thing I can do? Um, and that was, like as far as writing goes, that was something I really enjoyed doing. And it was like, you know, it is a small book as far as books go but it was a lot more complicated putting it together than I thought it would be because I did a couple of interviews and some research for the book and I sort of I ended up dividing it into sections which were almost like you know mini chapters um and it was like a real puzzle trying to it was like a puzzle but you didn't have any picture on the box um trying to fit it together in a way that sort of made sense just ran smoothly but wasn't going to be a totally uh chronological read i suppose so that was i really enjoyed doing that um but yeah and then there's also the fear of handing it over to an editor i mean i've got like this debilitating perfectionism i find it incredibly difficult to get started on a piece of work that i know will have to be read and edited you know or reviewed by someone um and so it was a real process of trust handing it over (laughs) and then just emotionally digesting the amount of red pen that came back (laughs) um but yeah so it's an interesting process I mean it's very different just writing for yourself than it is writing a book but I think if everyone's heart is in the right place of making it the best thing it can be I think that's where you know that's a positive from all the feedback I guess oh yeah no the feedback is definitely overall a positive it's just the emotional yes, of course, part of, of going 
<laughs> I thought this was good. <laughs> and I'm sure it was, but oh, you it's always this good. paragraph. I thought it was the best piece of writing I'd ever done. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. I really struggled. <laughs> I really struggled. I just wanted to be told I'd done a good job. I was like, I just wanted to email back going, surely it's all right. I'm just a child. <laughs> Look, I think if they're publishing you, I think you're doing a good job. So um, I think you just got to take that for back. Oh, okay. Yep. Cop it on the chin. I was... I was very much babied by my publishing house. I was very lucky. My team, they were so nice. They just completely mollycoddled me. No, I'm glad way. they took care of you. They should <laughs> take care of you, for sure. We need more yeah. of that. Well, thank you so much for your time, Daisy. It's been really enlightening chatting to you. And I'm so glad that you can come out now in 2021 with your book and you can come to festivals and you can talk to people about it. And so it's good for, you know, the content and inspiring other people. But I think it's really good for you as well to do that. So thank you. I think so. Thank you so much.